Hi everyone, it's Jamie. I just want to share with you that my new book, Toxic Relationship Recovery, is available now. This book is for anyone who is healing after a harmful relationship, but it's also for people that are looking to identify toxic traits, toxic behaviors, and toxic strategies that get used upon people every single day. The second half of the book teaches you strategies to heal your inner voice and find your authentic self after experiencing this type of harm. I'm looking forward to you all reading it and hearing your feedback from it. It's available today. Find Toxic Relationship Recovery wherever you buy books. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Hello. Hello. What are you doing? Are you typing something? Yeah, I'm typing the title, guys. We never name our titles. Anyone we never. That- it's true. We do not do it ahead of time. We are post, post-production post titlers. Um, welcome to season two, everybody. This is so exciting. Yeah. We made welcome. it. So season two is going to be, as we said, kind of maybe exploring some topics and themes that are more within the realm of like life post-healing. And when I say that, I don't mean that there is like a linear, clear-cut timeline here where like one day you're traumatized and unhealed and then you do a bunch of work and then one morning you wake up and now you're in healed land version of your life and you're never ever, you know, in a hurt place ever again. You're just fully fixed and healed. Like, no. I, that's not reality. Um, what I mean is like, there is a point in everybody's journey of recovery or healing or whatever we want to call it. There is like a point in time that usually happens. I don't know. I feel like you feel the shift happen within a space of time. It's not like a one day thing. It's like maybe over the course of like a particular like six month window of your life or three month window of your life where you feel some sort of shift in you to where your new baseline defaults have shifted into a place of commitment to a life of wellness and healing and recovery. And that's really that pivotal point. And that's when you get on the other side of that, that's more or less what I'm talking about, what we're going to be talking about in season two. Because there's never a time where all of a sudden, like if you're a person who has like gone through a lot and dealt with traumas and, you know, you're unlearning a lot of harmful things from your life and your upbringing and all of that. There's never some magical point in your life where like that stuff is just gone from you and you never have thoughts and you never have trauma responses and you never have problems ever again. However, there, there is a time and a space and a place that you can get to where your default 
response to life is to respond in ways that are from a place of health and wellness and healing and integration of like healthier techniques and skills rather than the previous default of just kind of going into those unconscious, you know, trauma responses and painful narratives that you grew up in. So hopefully that makes sense about what I'm describing because it's not linear. It's not clear cut. However, there does seem to be some sort of differentiation that occurs to where you do have kind of like this new default setting of approaching life and responding to life's challenges from a place that promotes your wellness and your mental health and your physical health rather than a more harmful default. Yeah. I mean, I would say we'll talk more about this in the season, you know, the upcoming season, but like one of the things that I definitely have seen and like I do, I mentioned it in my book is like when you get to this point of healing and that's what it is. It's just a point. It's not a end point. It's just an, a point on the timeline, mm-hmm. right? When you get to this point of healing where you actually start believing in your own ability and or capabilities, I should say, the things you're capable of handling, the things you're capable of navigating. Uh, and that comes from like years of skill development. This is why most people who listen to our podcast, you know, if this is the first episode, like, you know, go ahead and listen, but you know, you might want to, you might want to catch up on some of the first season, but the idea of what we talked about in the first season is like, you really have to learn. You really have to learn skills to be able to believe in your abilities to manage, let's say a trigger or a conflict, or a, you know, an issue that comes up with, you know, a loss or grief or family or whatever, like, we get thrown so many curveballs in life. And just because of like our old traumas, it doesn't mean that like, we're not going to keep facing these things, we are going to keep facing things, there are going to be things that really shake us up that might be new traumas that come across our radar. It's just that we do we can reach this point of healing where we're like, wait, I think I can handle that if that happens, right? I think I'm going to be able to handle that. And this is what this episode's about, which is almost like a reflection on how our past versions of ourselves used to handle traumas, stress, uh, conflict, you know, really harmful relationships that came across our radar, like how we used to navigate those conversations, because it's not like we didn't navigate them, but we used certain mechanisms that either didn't serve us or never really got us beyond the like muck of the everyday life, right? We kind of used a mechanism that got us through that minute, but it never got us through the mud and the drudge and everything that like we were dealing with, right? So like, this episode, um, we are having, we do have a name for this one. Um, <laughs> it's called Recalibrating Our Thresholds because one of the words I like to use around healing is that that's really all we're doing when we're trying to reach this point of healing is that we're not trying to say everyone can step all over us and I'm a doormat and nothing's going to affect me and I'm so highly evolved and high vibrational that like nothing affects me. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that like, 
the way we used to deal with stress and, you know, we'll give some examples, obviously, in this episode, but the way we used to deal with stress, you know, I personally had a lot of self-destructive ways I dealt with stress. Um, the way we used to deal with stress versus the way we deal with it now. And then we talk about the idea of a threshold. And so I'll explain this really briefly, but basically like when you are encountering stress, right? And you are, I'm going to probably use the word tolerate. That might be the, there might be a little bit of a better word there, but let's just go with that. You know, words usually don't, don't always translate to healing processes, but it's almost as though we're tolerating the the arrows that are hitting us or the things that are getting thrown at us, right? We're tolerating them. We're like, yeah, 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 another arrow, another day, like another wound, another bandage, right? Like someone, you know, dismisses us, someone triggers us, someone's just treating us poorly. You know, we're we're not asking for help. We don't know how to ask, you know, for assistance, whatever. And it's just another wound, another arrow. And then what we're talking about is the threshold of how many arrows? How literally how many arrows? Because I venture to say that in some people's journeys of their trauma recovery, it's there might not be a freaking there there may not be a limit. And People who are not like, okay, we're 50 arrows in, we've gotten hit, you know, time after time. And because there is no threshold for how poorly people can treat you or how much you're going to endure or how little, how many times you're not going to ask for help because why would you? You can't. That's weak, right? We're talking about the point of healing of recalibrating that means you understanding, oh, this is beyond my capacity. I do need to ask for assistance. Oh, this is too much. They did just swear at me or or throw something across the room. And that is too much. That is my line in the sand. But when my folks that are in trauma recovery don't have a line in the sand, you become like a beating post, you become a beating post for anyone else's trauma, anyone else's harm, anyone else's weight or burden. And then there's no limit, right? And so when we're, what we talk about in season two is we're talking about the moment, which is what this episode is about. The moment when you start recalibrating and you go, wait, there is a limit to how I want people to treat me. I am allowed to have needs. I am allowed to have boundaries. I'm not even allowed. I must have them. It's an inherent right for me to have them. Yes. Here's here's what I want to talk about because one of the things we talked about off air prior to this episode is how in my own journey, I am working on kind of shifting some mental frameworks that I have around my own recalibration of thresholds. Because for me, I am, you know, all in a constant state of trauma recovery, as well as unmasking neurodivergence that I didn't really discover and acknowledge until I was an adult. And so I've got like two things going on here when it comes to like recalibrating certain thresholds of mine. And what I realized is that there is still a part of me 
there's still a mental framework in me that somehow or another labels more sensitive thresholds as a weakness. Because, I mean, this is a societal messaging that we get, especially with neurodivergence. Oh my gosh, you're being too sensitive. You're being too picky. Um, you're just too much, right? And then with trauma stuff, you know, you are called strong and resilient because you've been able to endure and get through horrific things happening to you. And so there really is this kind of like societal messaging that says being able to survive 50, 60, 70 arrows a day makes you strong. And if you can't do that, you're weak. And so this is something that I personally, this is a mental framework that I personally am working on, like actively right now in my life of undoing that belief and that mentality. And what I wanted to say was what can be difficult if you're, if you're listening to this and you're just trying to, you know, start understanding your own thresholds and honoring them and and maybe finding them for the first time, there can be this temptation that says, why would I want to shift my thresholds? Because it sounds like a lot of work and it sounds like it's going to create ripples in my life and the community system that I'm a part of. Like if I start actually speaking up about, let's just go with the neurodivergence one. If I have a, a sensory sensitivity that I have been just literally gritting through my teeth to endure and dissociating and basically taking like nervous system damage every day by forcing myself to endure a particular sensory experience that is like part of my, you know, family system or home life. If that's the normal, if that's the norm and I've found a way to fight myself through that experience, why would I change that? And basically now inconvenience everybody around me by like asking for some sort of shift to happen in the environment to accommodate my sensory sensitivity. Why would I do that? (laughs) Like that sounds hard. And it's the same thing with trauma stuff, right? Like why would I start using boundaries with people who are speaking to me in a way that's harmful? Why would I do this? Because I can handle it. So why do I have to shift it? If I can handle it, why do I have to shift it? And that's what I really, really, really want to speak to specifically right now is when you're actively in that, when you are actively in that state of survival mode and just gritting and dissociating and getting through it and enduring it, it can be hard to see a life outside of that type of existence. It can be hard to visualize or imagine how else life might actually be able to feel for you. It can be hard to even take the time to consider that there is another way for your body to feel, for your heart and your mind to feel on a day-to-day basis. Because survival mode takes 100% of our concentration and time and energy every day to maintain that level of survival, we don't even have the time to like, daydream about another type of life sometimes. But as somebody who has fought really hard to crawl out of survival mode, I am here to tell you that there is another type of living. 
And like I said, I am still very much on this journey and I'm still learning things every day and working on my thresholds every day. But I have a new default now to where I am defaulting towards a healthier lifestyle, even if I'm not doing it perfectly yet. And because of that, I no longer feel like I'm in full-blown survival mode and I can't I can't tell you how wildly different it feels to not have to feel like I life is something I endure on a daily basis. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't moments throughout the day or the week that are a little bit enduring feeling, a little bit challenging and difficult for me. But as a as an overarching baseline for how my life feels, it feels more like I have actual um, safety and autonomy about how my environments around me are going to feel. I don't have to like worry about certain like sensory onslaughts happening because I now know how to accommodate my sensory needs. So even if something gets too loud, I carry noise canceling headphones with me. Um, I've switched my wardrobe to things that feel more comfortable on my body and not forcing myself to wear textures that are, you know, hurtful to my skin. I could go on. Um, and with trauma stuff, you know, I am curating relationships and environments that feel open and honest and safe and autonomous and everybody is, you know, respectful and not, you know, doing harmful things to one another. And as my life has shifted more into that as a default baseline, I, I sleep better. I have my, my physical health has gotten so much better. I have more creativity because my mind actually has some extra space in it for me to fill up with creative endeavors. When I was deep in survival mode, I couldn't draw. I couldn't write. These are things I've loved doing my in my childhood, and I completely lost it, you know, because there was no time. There was no space. There was no extra energy laying around for me to channel into a creative endeavor. Now I have more of that creative energy to tap into. So these are just some of the benefits. I, I also have like the freedom of imagination to be able to make plans for myself in the future and prioritize things like rest and leisure and vacations and just kind of fun little things. You know, I, I go out to shows, which is another music is a huge love of mine. And that was something that I absolutely like laid to rest. I thought I had to say goodbye to that. It wasn't congruent with like the type of role of like wife and mother I was trying to play during most of my twenties. And it was a huge sacrifice. I'm reconnecting with that now. So there is life after survival mode and it's almost hard to imagine what that might look like or feel like. So I guess what I'm saying is if you're in that space, maybe just trust the process a little bit and it might be hard to visualize, okay, what, how, how will my life improve by going through this really difficult process of recalibrating my thresholds? I don't know what your life might look like either, but I can guarantee it will be an improvement because being in survival mode, not only is it like we can sit here all day long and talk about how mentally and emotionally that is so taxing, it is well proven that it's physically so taxing on the body. And it's not a place you want to stay in for an extended period of time. And so many of us have extendedly been living in survival mode. We're talking a decade, two decades, 
three decades for some people. And this takes a toll. And I guess maybe I'm just this almost like a call to hope, a call to action that you are allowed to want more for yourself. Just because you can endure extremely difficult situations does not mean that you have to. I mean, very well said. I would say it's a tricky thing to navigate when we're making this shift. And this is what I think, this is why I think it's such a good episode to start the season two with is because it really is a shift out of survival. And when people are like, and this is, there's a full wilderness, we've talked about this before, but like when you shift out of survival, it feels odd. You're going to have emotions like CA brought up, like it feels sometimes like me holding space for my needs can be weaker than denying them. And I'm like, yeah, that's a reality for a lot of people where they're like, isn't it stronger to just like, you know, stop taking care of myself and give myself to the point that it hurts and self-sacrifice till my fingers are bleeding. And I'm like, I don't think that's, that's, yes, there's some valiant and like, you know, making sure we're taking care of people that are in our lives. But like, I always, you know, CA is a good example for me. Like if CA got to a point where she was like, giving away all of her clothes in the bitter winter, I'd be like looking at her and I would be like, I, I love you enough to like, not want you to take any more and give any more. Like, but this is where that voice has to change when we're healing, where we're like, yes, I can give of myself to some degree, but I will not give to a point of self-rejection. Think about that. We are allowed to create the both and here. We are allowed to give of ourselves. I struggle with this folks. Like, you know, I'm a giver. I like to, I like to provide knowledge and I like to educate and I like to, you know, be there for my clients. And I, I get to a point where like, I've started to burn out two times a year. And it's because I've given my last article of clothing. I can't breathe. I'm getting frostbite. I'm rejecting myself. And that's what we're talking about is like, it's, it's an act of self-violation to not have a limit, to not have a limit. You have to take, you have to get through the next day. Yes, you can. And yeah, you could probably get through the next day if you took, you get, got rid of the rest of, you know, what's keeping you warm, but it's not living. It's surviving. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the switch to living, engaging, thriving with vibrancy, with this unique energy that you radiate into the world that you can shine. And people are like, what is that? What does that mean? You know, we're, we're talking to a lot of people that are in trauma recovery. And many people are like, that sounds like a pipe dream, James. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, you know what? I... I'm for the first time in my life in the past few years starting to realize it's not a pipe dream. It just is so foreign to the person that's in trauma recovery because it's so much of their norm. It's so much of their lived experience. And so to say to someone like, no, you don't have to live in suffering in a mental prison. 
you don't have to stay there. And then people are like, well, how do I do that? And if anyone's listening to this, if you're asking the question how, and this is the first episode, I would say definitely binge the first season because we really (laughs) go into a lot of those skills. And the how, yes, it's what, 70 something hours of content? Like, we have so much there that we we poured our heart and our soul into because we do understand that it is a technique. It is, you can't just like wake up. And this is where I think the esoteric spiritual community bypasses a lot of this is you don't get to just wake up and be like, I have all the skills. I can handle it. I got this. Everything's in the back. And I'm like, no, like it does take you crafting emotional navigation skills, the ability to navigate your emotions, the ability to hold your emotions, the ability to integrate your emotions, the ability to feel your emotions. Think about what CA said. CA, I'm not, I'm not even trying to speak for her. She she literally has said this multiple times on the podcast, her go-to mechanism was dissociation. So literally think about what that feels like for the folks that is go-to method is dissociation, detachment from the body saying, you know, put your head down in the sand and just move forward. You have to learn how to fucking feel. Oh yeah. It's so hard and it's so intense. I mean, I'm yeah, that is that is still an adjustment for me. I even like when something really really hard hits me in my daily life, I know, I can feel every single part of my body is telling me shut off, shut off, shut off, like escape, escape, escape. You know how to just delete, <laughs> control alt delete, like just ugh. um but I actually am in a time now where like because I've created some skills and some space in my life to have healthier defaults I feel that temptation and I acknowledge it. I don't shame it. I go, I get it. (laughs) I know you're always there as an option. Thanks, babe. Like, thanks for being there for me. You kept me alive for a long time. Um, However, today I feel strong enough to feel what I'm feeling. And I know that it's going to hurt. And I also know that it is actually a much faster path to healing to just allow myself to feel through this experience rather than endure it numbly and then have to reprocess these emotions all over again at some point in the future. But this time they're like buried deep under layers of other things that I've piled on top of it. And it's so much more complicated. So, I mean, that is, that is definitely a very interesting part of the of the process is that feeling like actually allowing yourself to feel the fullness of what you're experiencing. Well, I mean, we've used this example before, but I it's worth mentioning again. Like I always love the analogy of like the frostbite, like the frostbite in person, right? Where like I'm out in the cold CA comes out and finds me. I've been there for like over a day and you're, you're sitting there in the snow with me and my whole body's numb. My whole body's numb. Everything's numb. And you're looking at me and let's say you're my inner voice. You are the voice that's asking for the calibration to change, right? And you're coming to me and you're saying, there's a way out of this numbing. There's a way out of this numbing, but you have to start feeling again. And that feeling is going to be so painful. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be painful. 
It's going to burn your entire body and it's going to, you're going to be on fire for a while and then you're going to start healing. And that's what we're saying to ourselves. We're saying it's time to come inside. And then when CA said, you know, sometimes there's that lie of like, you're weak. You're weak for wanting to just like get through. It's like, wait, which, what is more weak though? Like, and that's why I don't want to like use that harsh language, but it's like, it's actually to me, it's stronger to want to fight for your actual lived experience to feel, feel like an experience life. And like, it, endure like not even endure but like endure yeah like to endure that pain it takes to get to healing yes I see that as strong I see that as strong I see it as strong to step into that hospital to start realizing that the second I get into any kind of heat it's going to feel like fire and I have to relearn how to feel right and then not that we have to go all or nothing because like I can understand that like that numbing is what the body's doing to try to not go into pure shock and to try to stay alive till you get, but that's the irony, ready? Like think about what the physical body does. This is why I love when people like actually can create analogies of what our, what our brain does, but our body already does it. So like in this analogy, the reason why we're going numb is so we can protect ourselves from like fully shutting down and to try to get to the point of healing. Right. But when we stay numb, we can literally die. That can be our own demise. We can be like, the body's like, hey, we're just numbing for a temporary time, but you need to eventually get into that place of like recovery and we need you to get inside. But if the brain goes, no, 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 I'm too scared to feel, I need to stay in this state of numb, this flight, this literal state of freeze. Like I'm not trying to be like a pun there, but like actual state of frozenness. And that's what you're saying is the lived reality then we're missing an entire part of why the body even decided to freeze for us. It tried to do that so you'd eventually get to the state of recovery. And what ends up happening is it's a vicious cycle, is that because the numbing occurs, that becomes the threshold. And it's like, well, I, I endured it before. I stayed outside for like 13 hours before. I can do that again. And the body's sitting there like, what the fuck, Jamie? No, like that's not the standard. We just protected you to try to get you back inside. We don't want you to go back out there and numb and get out there and do this all over again. We know that you can survive 13 hours out in the snow, but we never want you to do that ever again, right? But we misunderstand that the body just had to keep us alive and then We had to get to the state of recovery. So that's what we mean by recalibrating the thresholds. Because in that moment, the wise self-journeying person would look at it and be like, 13 hours is not acceptable. I can go out in the snow and go snowshoeing and do whatever. I can usually make it four hours before it starts starting to sting. That's my sign. When I'm starting to get the stings, that means I must take care of myself. That's the lesson. It's not, well, I guess I can do this for six to seven more hours because I didn't die last time. No, it's the wisdom. 
Yeah. yeah the, the goal of life isn't to push yourself to your most extreme upper limit of survival all day, every day, and, and just push yourself as hard as you can. But did you die? Right? Like that, that phrase or that meme, like that's not the goal. You gave that analogy to me. Can you share that with the listeners about the weight thing? That was such a good analogy. Oh, yeah. I actually yeah. love that. I think they would really resonate with that. I do want to go into that. Before I say that real quick, I do want to say one thing that I was thinking of is there is um, – we talked about one of the feelings that comes up sometimes when we shift is that we have to grapple with that narrative of I'm weaker now for you know actually having thresholds and only being able to endure – four hours in the snow rather than 13, like I did that one time. Another feeling that can come up is a feeling of selfishness. Because again, if you have, if you have endured the limits of human capacity for literally just self-sacrifice, any shift towards middle like if we're thinking of like a spectrum and you're like all the way soup so far on the like end of the spectrum that has zero limitations or thresholds for what you can endure if that's just like your baseline literally any shift closer to center of what would be considered like a healthy differentiation of like honoring your own needs and wants in community with others is gonna start to feel selfish for you like that's immediately like your brain is immediately gonna go I'm not allowed to have a need I'm not allowed to have a want. I'm not allowed to like ask to take up any space or ask anything of anybody else because that's not allowed, which the irony is likely people have been asking things of you and you have been making sacrifices in that's part of your survival mode, right? So it's like, it's weird because your brain can justify, well, no, people, that's me though. Like, of course, like I'm supposed to sacrifice for other people, but other people aren't supposed to sacrifice for me. Like that's not allowed. So that's another one to just like keep in your mind, like be mindful of if you start to hear that voice. It's not selfish to just literally be a person that like has some wants and needs. Like just <laughs> we'll probably um do another deep dive episode on that topic in the future, but I just wanted to um bring that up. Now, to get to the analogy that I was saying with you the other day, Jamie, we were talking about um, this concept of as you shift into a new default, let's say, and you are attempting to apply healthier limits and healthier like navigate like emotional skills and relational skills in your life, it is akin to I was I was using an analogy for weightlifting. You want to think of this as a process. You don't want to push yourself too hard too fast in recovery. This is this is so important. This is actually so weird how this is like paralleling our very first episode we ever did in episode 1 was about self-consent in the healing process and there is I, this theme is going to circle back. We're going to spiral dynamic here. The thing with trauma is it's it's too much too soon too fast. And you can re-traumatize yourself in recovery by forcing yourself to do too much too soon too fast in the recovery process as well. And so when we talk about like starting to learn and use new navigation skills and healthier thresholds and limits, you want to build up to it. In weightlifting, when I'm trying to hit a PR, I go in, right? And I've been working up to it, which I'm going to 
go back and explain. But so say this happens and I go in and I'm feeling super strong one day and I decide to try to hit a PR and I go for it. Warm up a little bit. I load up the weight and let's say it's a deadlift and I, and I pull up 150 pounds as a PR for myself. Never did that before. That's huge. I high five myself or whoever was around spotting me. This is amazing. I hit my PR. Great. So one time I went into the gym and I had worked up to it and I finally got myself to be able to pull up 150 pounds in a deadlift. What does that mean moving forward? Does that mean that now all of a sudden, now that I could pull up 150, that I should expect myself to be able to go into the gym the next day and pull 150 10 times in a row? Absolutely not. <laughs> Just because you like hit a a new skill and you learn how to do it and you successfully pull it off under a very specific set of circumstances that required a lot of like buildup of smaller skills to get to that point. It required warming up in that actual environment. It required having a spotter even like, and you pulled it off the one time. That does not mean that you should now expect yourself to be perfect forever moving forward. Now I can just pull 150. It's easy. And I'll, I'll, be able to do that with ease moving forward. That's not how that works. In weightlifting, when you hit a PR and you're ready to keep training and, you know, maybe starts, now you've got to set a, you set a new PR on your mind as like, okay, the next thing I'm going to try to hit is 160. When you go back into the gym, you do something called progressive loading, which means there's a whole mathematical thing, but you're going to, you're going to actually take the weight back down to something that is more comfortable for you that at one point in your history, that that was once your PR. So maybe I go in the next day and I just load up 130. And that's a more comfortable weight for me. Interestingly, a year ago, I could barely lift 80 pounds. And now 130 feels like easy for me. So now I load up 130 and I do a bunch of, you know, I do a few sets at that. I load on 140. I do a couple sets of that. And then I go, hey, let's see how 150 is feeling for me today. You know, maybe it's two days after that PR. Let's see how it's feeling for me today. And I pull it up and it felt great. Maybe I can pull a second one and I do it and it feels hard, but like, Ooh, I did it. You know, again, this is how that works. And then slowly over time, we keep progressing, progressing, progressively loading to the point where now I can do a couple of sets of 150. but this happens slowly, incrementally over time, a buildup of these skills and they compound on one another and they take quite a long time to start to feel comfortable and like a default. And that I think is a good analogy for what the healing process feels like and what the recovery process feels like and relearning our different thresholds. And uh, yeah, so I guess like the moral of that story is it's about patience and it's about realistic expectations. And also that being said, uh, you are not the same person every day and your set of, set of circumstances, like circumstantial life stuff is not the same every day. Cause like if I go into the gym after I've just recovered from an illness and I'm in my luteal phase, you know, I'm a person who has periods. And so that actually does affect weightlifting. That's a rabbit hole I won't go into, but you know, I, I, there are days where I cannot lift what I can normally lift and I don't have to make a judgment moral decision about myself because of that. I don't sit there and beat myself up and go, you're weak, you're terrible. Oh my gosh, you've made no progress at all. No, that's not what happens. I go, oh, okay. Well, 
this is just not my day. I didn't eat very well the past week. I, you know, had a little bit of muscle, muscle atrophy because I was sick in bed for four days straight. I can't expect myself to show up to the gym this day as on like my highest level peak athletic performance that I'm capable of. And we don't have to make moral judgment calls about ourselves when we have those days. It's the same thing in our like emotional mental health stuff. Like some days are just rougher than others. And even though you're capable of like a particular skill and you've pulled it off in the past, it's okay to have days where you're like, man, I feel so off today. And like, everything is triggering me and I don't know what to do. Like, why is this happening to me today? You're human. That's why. (laughs) And you're not the same person every day. Exactly. I think this is why, like when you did the parallel of the first episode and like how this is the first episode of season two, it's like, this is about self-honoring, self-respect, self-consent. And like when we talk about recalibrating our thresholds, it's not just recalibrating from our past trauma and what we used to do. It's literally, this is why CA just so eloquently talked about it through the healing journey, right? So when we're healing, it is about daily recalibration, daily understanding the parameters. Remember, I think we've even done an episode on this. Do not take yourself out of context. Today, I am tired. I got six hours of sleep. I got four hours of sleep, whatever. Like, you know, for like our new parents, like I barely got any sleep, right? And, you know, but you decided to, you know, try to get the blood flowing. Maybe you, but but what you did was instead of doing lifting that day, you just walked around the track, like, you know, a couple times and, and stretched. Why? Because you're consenting to your own healing. You're, you're honoring your own body and you're listening to itself, which means recalibrating threshold is not just from the past. It's, it's an active process that you're going to be doing every single day. And this is why we harp on safe environments, because if me and CA were sitting in a room together and I go to the gym with her every day and I go, all right, let's go to the gym. And you go, okay, Jamie, but like, I just need to let you know, I got like not a lot of sleep and I'm feeling a little laggy today. Um, I don't get to look at her and define what's happening in her body. I don't get to look at her and say, okay, so what you're weak today? Like what, like what you're really not going to lift with me today? Like what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you such a pansy? Right? Like I don't, that's not safety because what I'm telling her is I don't trust herself in her own body. I'm dictating what I think she needs to be today. That's not respecting her. And that's not safety. So when someone looks at us, especially our loved ones, and yes, we understand we need to kind of, you know, we all have depression of episodes. There's ways to be supportive of like when someone's going through something, but you really do need to be mindful of like, when someone's looking at you and going, I, I know what I need right now in my body. And yes, I will go to the gym with you, but we're, we're going to be in separate parts of the gym. You're going to, you know, I know you want to lift. I'm going to be on the track, you know? And like, we, you just need to come to peace with that. And that's what we mean by like you giving yourself your own consent to what you're going to be doing with your own body and your own mind, you giving you the honor and respect and dignity and your affirm, affirming voice. Listen to that. You're affirming and convicted voice. Because when you, this is the fullness of the healing journey. When you truly get to know yourself, you know when you're bullshitting yourself. 
you know if you got a lot of sleep and you're well fed and you're well energized and you're just literally not wanting to do it. Okay, well then just be, like literally be honest with yourself. Just be like, today, yeah, I probably could, but I don't want to. Okay, fine. That's your own consent. Do you see what I'm saying? Like even in the moment, when you genuinely have all the ducks in a row and you just don't want to, then just align with that part of yourself. We spend so much time in our healing journey trying to be a state of perfection. That's bullshit. It's bullshit. Well, it takes it takes a long time to get to a place where you feel like you're allowed to stand in your own empowerment of what you want and need. And I was touching on that earlier in this episode, right? Like you're, I'm not allowed to want something. I'm not allowed to need something. Other people are allowed to need things from me, but it certainly doesn't work the other way around. It takes some time to get there. And honestly, it feels incredibly uncomfortable. And there's just no way around that. Whenever you're building a new skill, whenever you're working on a a recovery process of any kind, whether it's physical or mental, it feels incredibly uncomfortable at first. And you're just like, oh, everything about this is not coming naturally to me. And I want to crawl out of my skin because it's so hard for me to do this. And at the same time, I hope that you're cultivating inside of you that voice that says, I know it's uncomfortable and you deserve to have a voice. (laughs) It's uncomfortable and you still deserve to have a voice and you still are allowed to take up space. So, you know, get through the discomfort until it feels more comfortable. If we use the weightlifting analogy, like, man, the first time you pull up 150 pounds, it feels like you're going to die. You're like, I don't think I can do this. And then all of a sudden you do it and you're like, dang, I just did that. And then eventually over time, as you progressively load and progressively work those muscles and that strength, soon enough, 150 is going to feel pretty natural to you. And you're going to amaze yourself. And you'll be like, wow, I remember the time that I did that for the first time ever. And I thought I was going to die. And now it's like, not that bad. It's like, I mean, it's like that with boundaries, right? We think like we can't lay them. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, I'm allowed to have wants, needs, and desires right now. And then you start reaping the benefits of laying those boundaries and of honoring your energetic and emotional thresholds. And all of a sudden you're slowly over time starting to experience the benefits of a life that actually honors the self and starts to like integrate the self as an an important voice at the community table. Like it's not saying to shift and swing all the way into the other side where like you're just literally steamrolling over everybody else in your life. But giving yourself a seat at the table at all and you start actually reaping some of those benefits and seeing how life changes for you and how it feels more safe and enjoyable and free, then comes, you know, we talked about the stages of healing, but then you start to get into the stages of like conviction of like, oh, I need to be doing this boundary stuff. Like this stuff actually is so great. Like it's helpful to me. And ultimately it's actually helpful to the people around me as well. And it like builds healthier relationships and healthier communities in general. So this is actually good. And, you know, I even think about uh, five years ago, me would listen to me talking today and be like, who are you? (laughs) 
but truly like give yourself give yourself some runway and know that like this is a journey and it is a marathon not a sprint and there is gonna be lots of ups and downs and there's gonna be times you need to take a little quick breather little snack break little little hydration station break and uh just know that it is not a linear journey, but we are hoping that as a lot of you come along on your journeys, you can also feel and recognize when that shift happens inside of you, where you feel like, ooh, I've now shifted into a stage of like commitment to where my new default is to approach the situations in my life in a way that promotes my wellness, not harmful dynamics. Yes, well said. And with that, we are wrapping up the first episode of season two. Yay! We appreciate you you guys so much. And we're so grateful that you're still sticking around. And what are we on a year and a half of the podcast? That's surreal. That's that's surreal. Yay. So we will see you next episode. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work